0: You're listening to House on Fire, a youth focused podcast that is going to wake up every single listener to embrace urgency and agency in this climate crisis.
1: The wheels of industry are turning. Methane has a lifetime of maybe a decade in the atmosphere.
0: Net zero
2: by 2050, blah, blah, blah. Build back better, blah, blah, blah. In the United States, scientists found that streets in poor areas. We're up to 3 to 10 degrees Celsius hotter. Of course, we can still turn this around. It is entirely possible.
0: I am Caroline Lewis, the co-host for Season 2 of House on Fire. And with me today is my colleague, Katrina. Take it away.
1: Welcome back to House on Fire, a youth-led climate podcast that aims to get you to wake up, One of the reasons I got into the climate movement was because all of the many solutions that are already present, all we need is action. And my hope is that this podcast will get you to do that. My name is Katrina Irwin. I'm a recent college graduate and an associate program manager at the Clio Institute. I am on a mission to give you all the youth perspective of the climate movement and bring on many other youth climate hosts to help guide me in this effort.
0: Welcome to House on Fire.
1: Welcome back, listeners. Today we have a very unconventional guest, a TikTok influencer who goes by the name of At The Jar on TikTok, Eli Rallo. Hello. Hi. Hello. Eli has a huge following and through comedy, Eli talks to her viewers about her experience with men and how to be a more confident and powerful woman. Not only is Eli funny as hell, but she's also pursuing a degree in journalism from Columbia University. Eli, I'm not going to lie. I am a huge fan of yours and so many of my friends are a fan of yours as well. And I am just so happy to have you here today. How are you doing?
2: I'm well, how are you? Thank you so much for that lovely introduction.
1: (laughs) Thank you. We're doing great. I was actually uh, showing my co-host, Caroline, your TikTok before we started, and she was just like knee slapping the whole time. We were having a great time. I love it. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, of course. So I normally start off by asking a climate advocacy question, but I'm going to switch it up a bit because I know you're a big fan of zodiac signs and so am I. And just for you to get to know Caroline and I on a deeper level, I'm going to give you my big three. I don't know if Caroline knows hers because she's not as into zodiac as I am, but my (laughs) big three are I'm a Leo rising, a Taurus sun and an Aries moon. Oh, Mm. love it. That's me too. I want to be that. You want to be that? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Carolyn, I want to be that too. What, what indication does that give you?
2: I mean, a lot of times I think when we have like all different um, like suits, I don't know what's a better way to put it. But like when you have like fire signs, water signs, air signs all in your big three, I feel like you're a really balanced individual. Mm-hmm. I don't get to say the same about myself because I only have water and fire. So mm-hmm. I feel like I tend oh to God. be very, very emotional and then a little bit impulsive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like not as balanced, but yours sounds really balanced.
0: Well, I don't know anything about these things, but I'm an Aries. <laughs> And I kind of feel a little bit like Eli, that I am water and fire. I just, you know, I just have this constant on phase to me. And I can't wait to get to know you a little bit more, Eli, because I love your spirit.
2: Yeah, You know that Aries is a fire sign, so it makes sense that you're fiery.
1: Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) It's good to be fiery. So actually, I'd like to bring you and Caroline into each other a bit. Caroline actually has a lot in common with you and one of Caroline's claims to fame is that she believes in training men and I know that you are very good in do- with doing that so I'm going to pass it over to Caroline to talk to you about that Oh I gosh Eli you're
0: so cute when when uh, Katrina told me that story I said oh my god she's my girl <laughs> so um, I, I learned this from my mother, but there are no perfect men out there. They're just a good men, And you have to find one that's moldable. Yeah. So, you know, they're not going to have everything going for them, but they have to have enough of the right stuff. And you mold them, you frame them into what makes you happy and how to do that. I have a, a, a husband of 31 years now that is, well, maybe more is sort of the better father than I'm a mother and the best husband I could ever wish for. I'd like to clone him for every good woman and quite frankly, for every good man as well.
1: And I I know you have a very good uh, sneaky link turned boyfriend. So I would love to hear how you got him to be as great as he is.
2: Yeah, my boyfriend is wonderful. And I think where the training comes in is that I really am an upfront person. So if I want something, I'll be super blunt, like, this is like the kind of things that I like. This is how I like to be treated. And like luckily you're so right. He's like malleable. He's somebody that like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I knew there was like a great foundation for a partner. Um, I just had to like, you know, there's a couple tweaks. Like there's always a couple tweaks, like communication styles and things like that. Like men don't realize that their texts maybe sound like they're mad at you when they're just like not big texters, like things like that. But because I'm so upfront with the things that I want and my needs, I feel like I'd make it really clear for people. And if they don't want to, you know, rise to the occasion, then that's fine. I won't rise to theirs either. Mm -hmm. But he's just Mm -hmm. so great that he always, like, has risen to my occasion. I think probably because he loves me, but also because Mm -hmm. he's, like, Mm -hmm. really a great person. Um, He's definitely the best boyfriend I've ever had. And I've never dated someone and been their first girlfriend.
0: Yeah. Isn't that something? And I'll tell you something. Because you're upfront he is really concerned about making you happy. And that's 99% of the solution right there.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I do want to like push a little bit um, away from talking about men and talk more about you and your journalism degree. So as I mentioned before, you are currently pursuing journalism at Columbia University. And on top of that, you've been published multiple times, which I think is absolutely incredible. So what inspired you to become a journalist and what exact stories do you like covering?
2: Sure. So it's actually really interesting. I think it fits in well with what you all do. Um, mm-hmm. So my degree was a one-year program, so it actually started in um, 2020, August, 2020, and ended in May of 2021. So it was a fast track. Um, So this is like a year ago that I graduated and I wanted, I wanted to pursue journalism. I studied theater in college and I love the theater, but when the pandemic happened, I sort of got an urge that I didn't want to be pursuing theater anymore because I was specifically interested in playwriting, which is incredibly difficult to break into. Um, And I was like, I'm kind of going to table it. I think I want to do something more quote unquote serious and also lean in the direction of writing. So I ended up applying to Columbia for my master's. As I got in um, I studied while I was there um, basically like very baseline reporting that kind of stuff the whole time I wanted to be a lifestyle journalist. So I wanted to be writing about like dating and relationships. I wanted to be writing about like women and femininity and gender and sex. Those were all the things that really interested me. When I graduated, I ended up getting a job working for a company called insurance insider, which is actually UK based. And it's about insurance, which is so weird because I'm bad at math. Yeah. But I ended up actually covering the climate beat while I was there because, um, insurance and climate have a lot to do with one another because Mm -hmm. when there are natural disasters whether those are forest fires or you know major tsunamis storms hurricanes you name it earthquakes in the insurance industry gets really hard hit and it's like very very much so tied together and because I'm not really interested in math they put me on a lot of the more social justice type beats so mm. I was writing a lot about climate while I was there um and that was a wonderful experience but when I blew up on TikTok I ended up stepping away because I wanted to pursue more creative things um and now I have a book deal with HarperCollins so I'm writing a book about relationships um, as they relate to romantic platonic and our relationships to ourselves so I'm really excited about that so I definitely shifted gears but I do have like an extensive sort of a background in writing about climate as it relates to the insurance industry which is such a weird and quirky thing to know a lot about but it's actually quite interesting
0: sounds to me like you had a little bit of a dipping your toe into the social justice climate justice issues as well which you yeah. know it's a threat multiplier the the climate crisis a threat multiplier i know you talked about privilege in one of your articles about white privilege can you yes. talk a little bit about that? Because I have a story to tell you what I consider privilege.
2: Yeah, so uh, back in, I think that was June 2020 when that was published, I was still writing for my undergrad's paper and it was right around when George Floyd was murdered and so much was you know, coming up and there was a lot to think about and reflect on. I'm from a predominantly white upper-class area. That's where I grew up and the weekend right after this all happened i was driving and i was speeding i was on my phone i didn't have my license uh like a number of things was wrong with what i was doing in the car i got pulled over by a cop and while i was driving i was thinking about writing about white privilege because i really i was like this is really important and also because i was so sheltered and so privileged in where i grew up i think it's really important as somebody who wouldn't have considered themselves racist but needed to look inward to recognize that all white people have inherent racism inside of them just because we're white in America. And so I was driving, I was thinking about all these things, how I was going to write about it, what angle I was going to come from. And I'm pulled over and I, I let he lets me go completely like literally no anything I already have points on my license too from another situation where I was on my phone and driving And so like I really should have been in trouble. I should have gotten like a fine I should have gotten tickets like there was several different things that I was doing wrong and I got away and I was like see if I was a black person if I was a person of color this never would have been the case it was especially driving in a predominantly rich white area I was like this is actually crazy and it kind of just it made me feel incredibly guilty it also made me feel incredibly motivated to write about that because I was like my privilege as a white person like lets me through this life with like Mm a pass go like free pass like and if I was not a white person from a privileged area, this would just not be the case. And I started unpacking the ways in which, like, you know, white people would say, like, oh, I'm not a racist. And it's like, until you're actively anti-racist, you are. And, like, we need to stop looking at it like racism is, like, specifically an explicit thing because it's incredibly implicit too. And so I started writing about it and thinking about it. And of course, during that time, um, when the black lives matter movement sort of resurfaced in 2020, I raised a bunch of money. Um, I did a run and I raised a bunch of money and donated that. And I read a lot and educated myself. I dropped off a bunch of supplies at different protests. I went out and protested. I was trying to use my privilege to actually do something because that's really important to me. So that's where that article was born from. Um, I, I still, you know, I still think that it's a massive issue in this country, and it's insane that like. All of that happened and, and we're still here, we're still battling it. And I think it's really, really integral that white people can recognize their privileges and use it to number one, help battle these like incredibly racist and awful forces in our country. And number two, use our own privileges to lift up the voices of people that don't have our privileges. So people who aren't white, people who aren't from privileged backgrounds. So that's what it sort of means to me. That was a long-winded answer, but- No, yeah, that's a beautiful
0: is, story, Eli. I'm so impressed that a young girl like you has so much awareness about that because you're right. Not only would a black person have been pulled over and probably ticketed, but any sort of like question or movement could have escalated something unnecessarily evil to happen. Yeah, and violence. Yeah. So... My story um, on privilege is more of a hypothetical and it's more linked to economic privilege than white privilege, but they tend to be linked anyway, right? (laughs) So what I was, four years ago, when um, the Zika virus was in town, the mosquitoes in Miami were Zika virus carrying mosquitoes and they were abundant. And the studies came out that some people who were pregnant and got the Zika virus were having malformed infants. And um, huge problems. And I just remember thinking, if one of my daughters was pregnant and in Miami with me, she would be on a plane to her aunt in Connecticut faster than you could say hello. And she would not have to take the risk of being infected by a Zika virus carrying mosquito. And that's privilege. When people tell us to prepare for or recover from a hurricane and, you know, we have to drive out we can drive out. You know how many people cannot get out of here? So the idea of privilege is really tied to the justice issues and the climate issues in particular that we want to talk to you a little bit about today.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So just like going off of that, before we get into a conversation about climate, I'm just curious, what type of advocacy and politics are you yourself particularly the most interested in?
2: You know, I think I would be remiss if I didn't say reproductive justice would probably be on the top of my list, as it definitely relates to me personally and my platform. But I also think, you know, back to what we were saying, unpacking and talking about white privilege and the Black Lives Matter movement, um, I think that that's also equally important. And I mean, they are. so tied together because as we know everything going on with roe v wade white rich women are going to always have access to abortions it isn't about them Mm -hmm. this directly Mm -hmm. targets black and brown bodies and in light of that, it becomes a race issue, and you cannot separate the two. I think it's rather impossible um, to separate the two from anything, including climate, as you just said, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. obviously, white rich people are always going to be able to get away from a hurricane, from a natural disaster. Um, Mm -hmm. It's going to impact the people that don't have those privileges the most. So I think, in a way, those issues are tied into all issues. Um, So Mm -hmm. I would say those are two that I'm very, very, motivated about but of course in addition climate especially because of my background studying and Mm -hmm. working Mm -hmm. in that space
1: yeah so what's really interesting about what you said is it actually wasn't until i started working with caroline in the clio institute that i realized that the climate crisis is actually a humanitarian issue and every single thing that we're going to see from climate change is going to impact Every sector of society, especially everything that you just mentioned now. So I I know you probably know a lot because you were, uh, you know, covering climate with insurance, but on a scale from one to 10, how much would you say you know about climate change?
0: science-wise?
1: Science-wise,
2: I would say probably a six. I would say it was lower, actually, because I think that we don't see it as much. We have to seek it out. But then when I was working in it, I was faced with the absolute requirement to learn more about it. And I'm, I am was honestly embarrassed about my ignorance about it prior. I had always been taking steps to be more um, aware about the the environment and how I could actually do my own part. But I think it was not until I did that research that was I was required to do for work that I got sort of actually put into the knowledge of, you know, the science and, and all of that
0: stuff. Mm-hmm. So thank you for that, Eli, because part of what, I'm a science teacher and a high school principal by trade, and, and founding the Clio Institute in 2010, my goal was really to educate everybody from K to Gray on the data and the urgency of the situation. So yeah. we, we break down the science, we explain the impacts of diverse, and then we Present solutions. So we want you to know that the climate crisis is a life changer and the people least responsible for causing the crisis are the ones feeling the impacts the most. So when I hear you talking about Planned Parenthood and access to abortion, it freaks me out that anybody would be against Planned Parenthood. What do you want? Unplanned parenthood? It just—it just seems to fly in the face of, of of reality. And when we study the solutions to the climate crisis, we we draw heavily on a book called Project Drawdown mm-hmm. that sort of highlights, based on research and data points, the top one hundred ways so we could draw down the greenhouse gases and reverse the climate crisis. And in the top ten is educating women and girls. So the whole idea that women are the future and will change it is really coming to bear. And the fact that our country wants to be regressive in how we approach women's health issues and our ability to determine our own future freaks me out beyond belief. Because I'll tell you something, Eli. The greenhouse gases, so because I'm a teacher, allow me to do this. If all of the energy that enters the Earth stays on Earth, we would heat up and we'd become a little sun. So we have to always picture that energy comes into the planet and energy exits the planet. Now, all the energy doesn't exit because if all the energy exited, we'd be a frozen planet. So Earth is unique. We have a planet with an atmosphere that allows energy to come in and allows most of it to go out, but the atmosphere with the greenhouse gases have trapped some of that outgoing heat and allowed us to have life on the planet as we know it. What has happened in the last 200 years is we human beings have changed the atmosphere's composition so much that that outgoing heat is being trapped at a higher and higher level. Enough of that heat is not getting out. So the planet is warming up tremendously fast. And we are concerned that people think we can adapt to this problem without fixing the problem. So we are really hell-bent on convincing everybody that stopping the use of oil, coal, and gas, educating women and girls, Reducing food waste, these are the things we have to do and support globally, nationally and locally in order to turn this crisis into something like an opportunity for ingenuity to be unleashed.
2: Yeah, it's, it's really crazy to me that this is probably like the number one crisis that we need to face head on because we are running out of time and people sort of think on an individual level, well, how does it affect me? Like, it's not going to affect me. And it's like, it affects all of us. It affects some people at a much higher level than others. And like, it's happening before our own eyes.
1: Mm -hmm. So like, the proof is there. And you live in New York. You're still living there, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So New York is also like a very hugely climate, like impacted city. Are you seeing any issues in New York right now?
2: Not, I think like in New Jersey where I grew up, Mm-hmm. I saw a lot of it firsthand in the hurricane seasons that we had. And mm-hmm. I mean, when I was in high school, it was when Hurricane Sandy happened. So obviously that impacted New York as well. We were off school for a month. And like I don't know, mm-hmm. I don't know if people know that these severe weather crises have any like h- how much impact they have, like how important they are for us to look at as you know a part of this emergency for lack of a better term Um, but also the extreme weather that we get here is really really frankly unnerving and I think people just make jokes about how it goes from hot to freezing and people don't really want to address the fact that it's actually much more frightening than that it just the weather switches
0: Mm-hmm. It really is. And and I do think that a Climate 101, just the basics of the science and the scope of the impact, because down here in, in Florida, as you can imagine, all people want to talk about all day long is sea level rise and how we can raise the roads and build better seawalls. But it's much more than just sea level rise. It's the salt water intruding. It's the food crops not being as strong as they used to be. It's about freshwater vulnerability. It's about health. It, think about allergy seasons never ending and asthma cases. And you know, it's not the white privileged people that are getting these extra things to deal with, it's those without mm-hmm. health care and those without access to yeah. nutri- nutritious food and heat. Think about outdoor workers. We have recommendations that employers of outdoor workers give hydration breaks, but they're recommendations. When you have a profit-driven employer, you know how that goes.
1: Can I tell you something that's going to get you so mad about the state of Florida? So with what Caroline is talking about with outdoor workers, so in the Florida state legislature, there was actually a bill that passed that allowed people in sporting events to be protected when it's too hot out. So a sporting event will be canceled. Um, Easy pass the same similar bill tried to get passed to give outdoor worker rights, and it has yet to be passed in the Florida State Legislature. That
2: is so screwed up. It's just, I think people don't realize also how how important it is to like check and pay attention to your labels and also call out these big businesses and also vote. Like mm-hmm. the, the truth yes. is like there are so many things we can be doing on an individual level, but like our voices and our individual efforts can only count for so much vote. like. We need politicians to declare this a national emergency. We need yes. people to see it as we need to go into like a crisis mode, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And we need and we need these businesses to be in check. We need this legis- legislature like that to pass, like mm-hmm. because it protects people. Mm-hmm. And also, furthermore, then this politicians can actually get things done.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Amen, sister. Well, let me let me ask you something. You're learning a little bit about the CLEO Institute now, right? And CLEO is an acronym for Building Climate Leadership, CL, through Education and Engagement Opportunities, EO. We want you to be a part of CLEO. How engaged are you in climate advocacy, Eli? On a scale of one to 10.
2: And in this kind of advocacy, I think I, I definitely use my platform to share resources as often as I can, as often as they come up for a wide variety of issues. And then obviously I share what I'm doing on my individual level from like anything from like eating less meat to calling representatives to where I'm donating money to what labels I'm paying attention to, to how I recycle, to the compost that we have at home, all of these things. But I've not ever been involved with an organization and I would love to get more involved with the Clio Institute because I think what you're doing is incredible. And I already have, you know, affiliations for other issues that are, like top line things that are important to me but i have such a large platform that it comes with the responsibility to affiliate myself with oh my Amazing. god i'm in love with this girl comes <laughs> a, a responsibility. Much I, is
0: given much is expected i love you <laughs> this is great yeah,
2: i would love to work more with you guys because i think like it really is crazy how little people are educated and how how much people don't think this affects them and how people think like well i use a reusable straw i'm done and it's like <laughs>
1: It's not if people did what they did for the turtles that one summer like they did for climate, like, can you imagine how much change would happen?
2: It's it's crazy. And if people just educate like, okay, even if we could get a push out for people to watch like the Our Planet documentary on Netflix or the series rather that Mm -hmm. was made or there's a couple others. There's like one about the ocean that's called something coral, Chasing Coral, maybe that. I Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's a good one. Yeah. Chasing Coral. That one's a good one, too. It, ch- it changes your life. It blows your mind. It's like with the same effort that we're watching other television shows and other programs, like just watch it and then you'll, you know, and then you're going to make some changes. But it's like the, the push is not there and we need people with platforms to be working harder on it.
1: Myself exactly. included. Oh, well, thank, i we like we really appreciate like your your interest in doing that. And like another thing that like, we do at the Clio Institute, because obviously, our generation is going to be the generation most impacted by the climate crisis. And we actually have a youth advocacy program called Gen Clio, where we train young activists how to be. Empowered in the climate movement. So, actually, recently we've gotten people for the city of Miami to get two youth activists on a climate resilience advisory board. And on top of that, we're actually um, in September, we were able to allocate $388,000 in funds to the city of Miami Resilience Forum. So we're doing so many incredible things here. And we would just like love to find ways to partner with you to help engage your audience as well, because it's one thing to talk about it, but as you said, it's a completely other thing to act on it.
2: Yeah, no, I, I think that that would be amazing. I really like, I can't think of a better partnership, like giving it makes a lot of sense. And I think that my followers want from what I can tell about my audience, and I feel like I know my audience, I think that they want to be involved. They want to be educated. It's just sometimes people need to lead them to the water on so many different exactly. things. And maybe that's not how it should be, but, like, I had to get led to the water, I think. You know, when we do live with privilege, it's so easy to ignore things because they don't affect us. But they, number one, do. And number two, what doesn't it matter that they affect our neighbors? They affect other people living in this co- Like, I don't know, to me... It's really, really important, and I would love to work with you guys. Well, I
0: think you are a sleeping giant in this climate crisis, Eli, and our job is to wake up sleeping giants, and the Gen Clio is building a generation of climate leaders, currently in their 20s and some of them in their early 30s, and I really feel that your voice and your strategy and just your likableness. I mean, I just met you on TikTok and I'm, I have a girl <laughs> crush on you already, my God. So um, I really appreciate your saying you want to be a part of this because we're going to have to have everybody using their voice and their, and their vote and all of that because we are, changing every light bulb is not going to cut it. We have to do that too. But getting people, getting people to vote getting people to demand of their elected officials, what's in the best interest of the public. I consider elected officials public servants and the climate crisis demands public servants Mm -hmm. act. So
1: absolutely. And TikTok is also just like doing so much to change our political structure. Like, I really think there is, in a way, a political revolution going on on TikTok Absolutely. So, like, how do you think, like, in the future, just from being a influencer on TikTok, that you've seen ways that TikTok and Gen Z can change the future of our political structure?
2: That's a really good question. I mean, I think... It is so easy to rise and fall on the internet these days, and TikTok has made it possible for so many people to get out so many big messages. Mm-hmm. And that is for the good and the bad, because we also see massive misinformation and incredible hateful things spread on the internet. But to give an example, um, I. I follow a couple influencers who are content creators that don't make content about social justice, but then they use their platforms to make commentaries and videos and content about social justice, and they can lead masses of people into doing things like signing petitions, donating money, getting on board with something, or just simply being educated. Um, I ran a uh, fundraiser through my Instagram for um, the National Network of Abortion Funds, and I raised almost $40,000. That's incredible. And I didn't really do anything other than post. So if I could do something that easy, it was so easy to set up the fundraiser and, and get people to donate, like think about the power that these Gen Z 20 somethings have mm-hmm. with all of these followers and also the responsibility that you have to use that to leverage and make change or at least educate people turn people on to something like there's just so many it's actually incredible and and like i said there's a hefty mix of misinformation in there too so you have to be careful but what people are doing with their platform for good is is really inspiring and it's definitely inspired me to want to get involved more
1: mm-hmm. no no i completely agree with that. well you're on board honey you're part of
0: our gen cleo movement as we speak um we see absolutely uh, a meeting of the mind so i know we're running out on time i want to quickly plant something in your head Okay. As a theater major, can we come up with a funny, impactful, one-act play, 20 minutes, to share with the public of all ages, but especially youth, why this climate fight needs all of us? So what yeah. I'm thinking is we'll do a Climate 101 with you, and we'll have a brainstorming session, and then we'll leave you alone for a couple weeks, <laughs> so you can have it like Settle into your mind. And you know, you always wanted to write a play, didn't you? So there you go. We're giving you a challenge. We'll help you with it. But we really think that your voice and a message that can be, it could be a one woman show. It could be just you being funny and real and speaking truth to power so that people wake up. What do you think of that?
2: I think that's a great idea. You know, I think comedy transcends. I think even on the simplest and maybe stupidest level when we watch SNL and they make political commentary, like people latch on to things that are funny. Um, It's a really good way to give, give... Deliver big messages, and I think theater is an incredible way to deliver big messages. So I'm mm. on board. I think we should do it. It'd be wonderful. I think the meeting of the minds is very important because I'll need your help. But <laughs> I, I already I, love you both, so I, I can't. I can't <laughs> think of a better way to do it.
1: We love you too, and I also think theater people make the best activists. I actually used to be involved in theater too. Yes, and like, they totally and like, do. And like, they're not afraid to go up and talk to people. Like, we need to get the theater community like more involved. We absolutely need the theater community And they involved. absolutely deeply care about everything, too. Like, the best activists are people in the theater community, in my opinion. Absolutely. Okay, so Eli, right.
0: we have stories. We have climate stories from frontline communities. We have successes and failures. So if we could just give ourselves a month or two to dump a lot of this on you, to hear what you're thinking, and then it'll give you enough content to come up with a script that kind of resonates with your voice. Because... I really do see you as somebody helping move the needle, which is really what we want to do.
2: Yeah, I, I'm in. Let's do it. Oh, I
1: love it. Okay, sorry. Um, <laughs> this is great. Our producer keeps telling us not to bang the table. Like there's this one thing out oh, uh, there. That's whenever just I record
2: my it. own podcast, I'm always like touching the mic and banging the table.
1: <laughs> it's hard not to do it because like I'm a very big like jester person is there anything else you would like to uh, like
0: share with us that maybe we can consider to sort of scale this issue
2: just thank you guys so much i'm really looking forward to working with you i think what you're doing is amazing i'm and i think sharing it out is going to be tremendously helpful to so many people that want to help sleeping giants i think you said that want to help but don't know how don't know where to get started or just need to be led to the water because it's so important great
0: Well, thank you so much, Eli. I really feel like um, you you have to run for office one day. Enjoy your comedy routine now and your influencer status. We love that. But at some point you have to run for office. My husband, who is the wind beneath my wings, says to me all the time, we need more women in politics. We do. Men run run for office to be somebody. Women run for office to get things done. I couldn't agree with him more. So the future is female. And let me open the doors for you, my friend.
2: Thank you very much.
0: Our pleasure. Thank you. House on Fire is powered by the Clio Institute and could not exist without the help of the Lynn and Louis Wolfson II Family Foundation. Thank you so much for making this happen.
1: Here at the Clio Institute, we believe that the best way to get people into the climate movement is through education. And one of the best ways to do that is by sharing House on Fire with your friends and family. So don't forget to like, share and subscribe to our podcast. And House on Fire can be found on all channels where podcasts are available.